congressman, whenever I was a kid, the big deal was that we always went to putt-putt. Like, that was the big, like, maybe once a quarter. You got, if you made your A's and you read your books and you got your book of awards, like, you went to Pizza Hut and then you got to go to putt-putt. But we played this game and it was like... Bop a, bop a gopher or a prairie dog or whatever. Whack them all. Yes. So they would just come up and just boom, 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 boom. And I'm watching all this agriculture. It's just one thing after, like, okay, Brazil. And then that deal. And then maybe we can squeak in cotton under the, the disaster relief uh, bill. And then once that's done, guess what? We're going to have a trade war with China and sorghum and pork. You're first up. I mean, it's just always something. Yeah, th- th- there's a lot of moving parts to uh, this economy, trade, farm bills, taxes. Um, I think we're getting most of it right, but, you know, the people sent this president to shake shake things up, and I think he's doing the right thing by holding uh, China, uh, for example, accountable by uh, for not playing by the same rules everybody else is. I, I got to have a meeting with him on this. I was representing Texas. There were other ag states and districts in the meeting. It was at the White House. And, and um, look, I, I, I think that uh, the United States is the only country that can stand up to bad actors when it comes to trade. Mm-hmm. And um, turns out even the use of chemical weapons and other things. But in this case, it's, it's trade and unfair and anti-competitive behavior. And uh, th- this president, the thing about him is he's not easily influenced and that's actually a positive thing because it doesn't take much before some industry group or some special interest they could be good special interest but applies pressure and he uh, blinks and then we can't hit reset the whole goal is to hit hit reset and either have them playing by the by the same rules everybody else or out of the game altogether I got to tell the story about China. I said, we know this all too well. We used to be number one in cotton production in the world. Now we're number three. Guess who's number one, Mr. President? China. And then I went on to talk about how they stockpile and dump uh, uh, cheap cotton on the market, or they have, how they've had state-sponsored farming in China. It's really hard to compete when you have <laughs> you know, the government basically owning and operating your your farmers neighbor's got eight thousand acres and that's a whole lot but uh, i'll take the neighbor over uh, a country yeah so (laughs) i think a continent you know i think in some ways um if they could they'd love to put us out of business of feeding our own people and making and by the way and making war machines and and other important products with aluminum and steel if the shoe is on the other foot we would want our president to fight for our for our ag producers. As it is, it's steel and aluminum manufacturing. And so the, he, we, he has to be smart and he has to be careful and thoughtful. And those are that's part of the advice we were all giving him. Be targeted, be measured. But I told him our folks stand with him. I, we got almost, a, if it wasn't a standing ovation, it was certainly the biggest applause line when I talked to the Plains cotton growers at their annual meeting and said, we need to stand by this president and hold China accountable for their behavior, and uh, so I think our guys are for him. I certainly am. Well, I get it, and I, you know, I hear people say, "Well, look, uh, let's go to the Korean Peninsula for just a second. But well, we've done this. This is the third time we've done this. You know, South Korea, uh, Korean 
reunification you know we've been there before so let's not get overly optimistic but at the same time it didn't seem like a strategy of let's just let the process play out through the Obama administration was necessarily compelling to Korea like going out and putting putting big boats out in the water in the peninsula or near the peninsula now that became compelling for so I understand Trump and you know I'm one who I actually appreciate the Rocket Man stuff. I think it, it makes for good radio, <laughs> but in columns and whatnot. But on the other side of that, we're we got sorghum and port guys yeah. specifically. Those are the first two that, I'm, like, okay, well, I appreciate the aggressive tone, but we're going to be writing the notes here. Do you think that those countries are going to flinch? I do. Okay. If we ever had the 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 guts to to stay on course and I think this president and, and, and he said this the other day and he took actually this is what I told him in the meeting we can't hit reset with China we're addicted to cheap products we are uh, status quo is a very difficult thing to change in Washington uh, we know that this will be painful in the early stages if we can hold out and if you will get the NAFTA deal done, it'll take a lot of pressure off our ag producers. If you can do more free trade deals in the Asia-Pacific area, that'll put more pressure on China. I think there are things you can do without blinking in this reset with China. Don't blink. Our guys are standing with you. But when all else fails, just give us your word that you're going to take care of the fallout for our farmers and ranchers mm. as... Um, was his, how do you he, respond he said absolutely that that was his first sort of statement is that he's committed to taking care of our ag producers to the extent there is fallout he just said hang in there with me we're going to get this right but i gotta i gotta have you with me while i'm doing my thing and his thing is very different than most presidents i mean this isn't your traditional this isn't your mom and dad's politician and, and I think it's refreshing, and I think it's, look, measure a man or a woman, measure a leader by their results. This president, in a one-on-one -on -one negotiation with the president of China, got beef into the largest market in the world that where it's been precluded for 14 years. Same thing with pork in South America. Just measure I think and judge this president by his results because his personality is a little uh, unnerving and his style can be unnerving his methods and I don't even subscribe to 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 any of or all the above all the time but I I do believe that he's got this country and the manufacturers and producers best interest I think his instincts were right we're not getting fair deals no. and I think he's right. We need to bring back the made in America, not necessarily superficially just to go out and buy things because it's made in America, but to maintain the ability to make stuff. We don't want to be a, a pure service economy. That's not that's not a strong future for this country. You know what a big economic hit's going to be whenever all these news agencies have one guy whose job it is just to monitor the president's tweets. <laughs> and then whenever the whenever whether that's 
in the next cycle or he wins again there's gonna be a lot of people out of jobs yes more more jobs lost in media i want to switch over with you here to snap and what you're seeing what do you think the reforms will be in snap well the reforms we have in there now i think could be dialed up i think because they're going to have to be negotiated out of the senate where you have 10 democrats that we've got to get before we move it to the president's desk but as it is today it's going to be a straight republican vote it looks like although i'm not so sure that the public sentiment will not be so strong and overwhelming that some democrats will come back over because if you think about it this is a pretty reasonable and measured step in the right direction with respect to work requirements we're just saying if you're 18 to 59 meanwhile the rest of us have to work till we're 64 before we can uh, earn our benefit of social security but we're saying if you're an able-bodied adult 18 to 59 you have to work 20 hours a week to receive the benefit we're not kicking you off of the of the food stamp roll we're saying like in privately employed are we talking about wpa like they're going to go down and help build the wall or i mean listen there's six million surplus jobs in this country and i credit a lot of that to the tax and regulatory uh, relief the, the jobs that i mean what about the jobs that quote unquote no americans want to do well um there are no Americans that want to do those jobs because we've created a system where they don't have to have those jobs. As my dad always said, you want a man, you want a system where people don't go hungry, but you, I mean, where they don't starve to death, but you want to keep them hungry enough that they're looking for a job. You and I were in, I went to a function that you were speaking at in Stanford with young professionals, and we were at the, uh, at the Cowboy Hall yes. there in Stanford, and heart tapped Charlie Stenholm and and we were there and there were twin brothers and one of them ran a huge operation in Wichita Falls and he buses people out right yeah to to Stanford yeah. and he pulled me aside and said hey look I can't get people to work because unless I like pay them a lot more than what market value is because they have comfortable settings they, they everything's taken care of if they went to work for me, then they would lose these benefits. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. We, we've disincentivized work. I think the food stamp program or supplemental nutrition assistance program is part of the problem. But there are lots of them. Med Medicaid. I mean, you have people that uh, are showing up at emergency rooms where it's the most expensive way to provide care when all they need is a primary care doctor but there's no skin in the game there's no shared cost so why wouldn't you go to the emergency room there it's look the system is riddled with um, disincentives for responsible behavior but in this case we get the first big bite I think at the welfare reform Apple and oh by the way a, a president of another party was a leader in this regard and his name was Bill Clinton he signed welfare to work in, in 1996 you should go back and read his remarks we can't trap people in the cycle of dependence on government we didn't create welfare to be a lifestyle you would think it was Ronald Reagan talking so I don't know where we he lost our way pragmatic, though. yeah he was a pragmatic oh, 
Absolutely. But we need some pragmatic Democrats to get this reasonable work requirement so that we can incentivize people to be their best, to enjoy the blessing and dignity of work, and the best way out of poverty is work. I love the capitalist side of you, by the way. <laughs> hey, I tell you what, people people may draw the wrong conclusions about me. Uh, again, a great note uh, from Morgan. I'm loving the podcast. I listen to it every morning from iTunes, being able to listen to the prior day's episode. The next morning is awesome. You've replaced my usual podcast and it's the first podcast i listen to every day thank you for that morgan and you can go to itunes go to uh, other side of texas and i'll tell you it's worth what you pay for it which is absolutely nothing if you like it leave us a good rating there congressman jody errington he's still getting used to being called congressman you know jody is it jody is you know Cotton-eyed Jody. Cotton-eyed Jody. You know, that well, was, that's another thing. That's but first I, yeah, congressman. Okay. First congressman. Well, now, look, here's the thing. I knew two two things made me very proud, and it it was a good signal that we were making some progress. When I had a meeting with the speaker, he had a, several of us around, and he asked us to give sort of five minutes worth of what we were, what was on our minds, what we hoped to accomplish. This was, you know, several months ago, probably maybe, yeah, several months ago. And uh, he got to me, and before I could get anything out of my mouth, he said, I know, I know, cotton, cotton, cotton. And uh, that, that, I thought we're making some progress, and uh, people know what we're here to do. And and then, of course, when my colleague on the uh, commodity subcommittee that oversees Title One, when he introduced me for my five-minute remarks, said, uh, "And I yield to the gentleman from Texas for five minutes, Cotton Eye Jody." <laughs> I said, "You know, that's okay. You know, it's okay because uh, we had a lot of help from a lot of folk, some from the Cotton Belt." and some from other parts of the country, but everybody pulled in the leadership. I give a lot of credit to to Speaker Ryan, Kevin McCarthy, who came out here for an event in Lubbock and claimed that he had as big a cotton district, I think, as I did, and I, I took exception with that. Mm-hmm. But in you know front what? Of everybody. Uh, oh, nice. But you know, uh, yeah, he did in front of everybody, yeah. didn't he? So he said something about. So much for the good desk. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> now I, you're up I, in the balcony. I let him say whatever he wants if he's going to help carry the water to get cotton back in the farm bill safety net, and he did. And I think it's going to increase the. A, it's a game changer for us. B, it improves the probability we get a farm bill done. But is the backroom scene, whether it's filled with cigar smoke or not, with getting cotton in through the disaster bill, surely there's some there's some back scratching that has to be returned, especially with Democrats like way up in the up in the Midwest. Uh, is it that now you're going to be a big proponent of dairy for the guys that came down and helped push cotton through? I mean, what goes on then politically? I don't know anything about scratching people's backs. I mean, for us, I think the majority of it was you had people suffering in disaster areas where it was outside of their control, and it it was but for the grace of God go I. So whether it's Katrina and Rita and and, uh, the Gulf Coast in Mississippi mainly and Louisiana, or it's the hurricanes that hit Texas, I think our fellow Americans generally rally for each other. But is it a sigh of relief for them that the most contentious part of the Farm Bill has by and large been resolved? And that's the part of the Farm Bill that you can't eat, and that's the fiber part. Look, we were in such a bad way because of the, the big drop in prices without 
the market risk insurance for the one commodity pulled out of the safety net, which was cotton, that um, even that disaster that caused tens of millions of damage to the cotton producers in that region, it, it just, it, it, I would claim cotton was as much a disaster as, as, as anything, and uh, the dairy thing came along as a, as a way to try to fix something early to make it less political and give the other side less leverage when we were reforming food stamps. So I think it was a good look ahead. Um, and look, they don't have the, they didn't have the problem we had of the lack of safety net. What they do have in the Northeast is a an unfair trade situation with Canada where they put a 200 plus percent tariff on our dairy and we have an open market for the Canadians. I mean, that's that's an area where President Trump has said we're going to modernize, update and make for a more fair trade deal for American producers. No. They're not our cotton farmers, they're not even our dairymen. But but they're part of the agriculture uh, economy in this country and uh, I, as I say I don't care if it's the citrus growers in Florida or our cotton producers or the dairymen in the Northeast. We need to do right by American well, producers. Consequences and it, unintended consequences. And they rush to our aid and support us. We need to do the same for them. It's, it's just like we started off with like bop a mole or whatever, whack a mole. I mean, tariffs, foreign subsidies, weather, and then ill advised foreign policy. I mean, it's always something. Uh, within that think that that plays to the strong tradition that we have with agriculture and in American government but Jay let me interrupt on that all those things you said you know add up to one thing we need a safety net if we want to continue to produce our own food we need a safety net we don't need uh, to support agriculture's operation with uh, the subsidy that people call it, we need a true insurance product safety net for when we get bad trade deals, we get mass subsidies from other countries and their products, and when we have costs to produce over here that are not comparable with costs to produce in other countries. Factors for a number of reasons. outside of a producer's control. Yep. Like there's like like there's I understand that the eighties took out guys that weren't the most responsible. Right? And so there was some personal responsibility to be said and to be had there and it weeded some folks out. I'm talking from the yeah. cotton sector in the early yeah. 80s uh, with you know interest rates and everything else that was going on but and you and I have had this conversation before offline I was brought home from the hospital to a farmhouse to a father that had just started his own operation in 1982 like the absolute worst time mm. to be underwater starting out which is what most guys do they start out underwater and then over time the cost of production, fixed price, all you know, all those variables, and that was the absolute worst time. So I know firsthand, and, and people are like, well, is Jay on the dole for the lobby? Like, do you hear any ag? Maybe we will have ag commercials. I, I don't do that out of, and I hate to sound sanctimonious, but I feel like people in positions to be heard need to speak out for others because their fate is more tied Inside the city limits of Lubbock, then people would like to admit that it is a mutual fate, no doubt. And you need to speak up. So, uh, well said. Good on you, Cotton Eye Joe. Well so said. this is where I want to leave us off for this one here. And we had James Arnold, president of ABC Bank, on yesterday. A little 101 on how regional economics work. 
and I brought it up to him on my part like if I could put, present a white paper on here's what we need to take care of policy wise in rural Texas whether that's East Texas or West Texas or North North Texas access to credit and in Arnold was in agreement with that he thought he thought that technology could help take care of that as well access to credit but it seems and he brought up four big banks that have 85 percent of the deposits uh, rather than going after them in post 2008 we went after the brunt of it's been felt by community that's banks. right so i don't know there's some movement right now in the Senate for a bill that Paul Ryan calls essentially a, a Dodd-Frank replacement. But without getting too far in the weeds here, um, where what movement's being made on rural access to credit? Well, rural communities and small businesses, which is the predominant operation um, and enterprise in rural America, has been disproportionately hurt by big government. I just quoted Ronald Reagan this morning at a celebration for small businesses because this is small business week and uh, he said you can't be for big government big bureaucracy and big taxes and be for the little guy you just can't because it has a disproportionate effect that's why we've lost that's why we've lost a community bank a week since Dodd-Frank was implemented we have thrust billions of dollars in uh, compliance cost most of which is passed on to the customers because they have to, because they have to keep their, their margin. Okay, so this is the populist side of me. Nothing happened to those big four. I mean, not that I can see. No, that's... Nobody's in jail. You know, they aren't, like, going in crying, wringing their hands to their boards. I mean, what happened to them? Well, this is the irony of one of the many ironies of Washington, D.C., but especially on the Democrat side, I must say... I'm sure Republicans are guilty of this too, but the the bill was the Dodd Frank was Wall Street reform and consumer protection. I don't know about you, but not having access to credit. I just got back from Rawls today, Floydata. Those those banks don't don't do mortgage lending anymore because they're told where they can and can't lend, and they have tremendous risks. They have to hire hire more lawyers, more compliance officers. They've gotten out of the uh, a lot of consumer credit, so they've let less access to credit in the these small towns. They're paying more. They're filling out more paperwork. The consumer's not protected. And and to your point, the big guys have gotten bigger. There are more concentration of assets in the big banks, and we have fewer small banks. So so the the Senate has passed, which is we should we should pause to congratulate the Senate any chance we get because it's a rare occasion we passed the Dodd-Frank repeal and reform the Choice Act which I co-sponsored out of the house a much stronger repeal and reform bill on Dodd-Frank but you got to get 10 Democrats in the Senate so uh, we did get a a Dodd-Frank reform and it is going to be focused on providing relief to community banks just really grinds my gears because I, what I told James yesterday, James Arnold, was I hate, and I tell my kids not to say hate, but this is how strongly I feel <laughs> about it. I hate it when I hear rural, and I don't care where it's mentioned. It'd be rural Alaska, <laughs> but especially, most especially, rural Texas talked about in past tense. And it seems to me, unless we do something, 
on a whole host of issues, and we got to close this one down, so I won't mention all those, but especially access to credit, then you can't you can't create and you can't begin new beginnings and revitalizations in these communities. No, that's true. You can't farm. You can't run a small business. Um, and uh, I will say that in the Farm Bill, I want your audience to pay close attention to something that's not getting a lot of uh, play, and that's the tremendous event investment into the technological backbone that is missing in half of rural America, and that's access to high-speed Internet. Mm -hmm. So the investment in broadband technology is the big rural development play. Yeah. It's like the rural electrification of the 50s and 60s. Yeah, and I remember Trump was up at... Uh what agriculture yeah. farm was that? Where yeah, he the Farm was? Bureau in uh, yeah. Tennessee. That was it. I'm sorry, no disrespect, Farm Bureau. I just couldn't remember which one it was. But with that comes telemedicine. I saw an article today about teletrauma that uh, the Health Sciences Center is starting out and the Texas Tech Health Sciences Center. Yeah. So, and that's, well, that was the point that James made yesterday. Was I said, look, rural access credits in my top three, and he said, no, technology is in my top three. Absolutely. Because with that, we'll... Come you can connect uh, You can connect better education, better access to quality care. Look, when, before I ran for this, I was helping run Grace Clinic and Health Systems telemedicine program. And we were piping specialty care to Childress, wonderful team, great community hospital. But like a lot of community hospitals, they just they could offer what they could offer, what they could afford, and 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 stay in in operation. So we were piping our specialty care so that they could um, not have to make the travel, lower the cost, uh, provide better act. Technology is the solution to a lot of things in the healthcare space. We talk about a lot of government solutions and for we've got to get government out of the way as a barrier to technology because it's the only thing I know of that can that can satisfy the big three better quality and better access and bend the cost curve so what I'm hearing you say is we need to make uh, Facebook into a public utility just kidding we'll talk about that <laughs> next time We'll do that one next You're time. You're still just as dangerous to do an interview with as you did when you were on West Texas Drive. I, I, I tried to just keep that up. Uh, we, we do have, we've had some statewides write about interviews we've done on this program. You sure you don't want to answer that question? Right now? Yeah, I wanna, uh, I've got an answer, but it has some choice words. So uh, This is still a family station, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we, I, we can say five different cuss words. I tried to stay away from them, though. Tomorrow, we're going to have James White. We're talking about the issues that he sees. And I bring up his race because it's played into a case with Steve Stockman. And I won't ask you for comment on that one either, <laughs> Congressman. But Steve Stockman wanted to get rid of uh, our friend James White because he said, quote, conservatives love black conservatives. And he wanted to uh, they put surveillance on them. Followed him around, tried to tried to make sure he wasn't up to anything unseemly. So, so he'd have the bags on him. He's going to get in that. It's the first time he's addressed those issues. He's going to do it with us tomorrow. We talk about his other side of Texas. Here on Other Side of Texas, you can follow the show. Other Side of Texas on Facebook, Twitter, at OSTX Show. And uh, until then, you can look forward to this audio up on iTunes and up on OtherSideOfTexas.com. Little sister, get us out of here and... We'll see you on a Thursday edition. Thanks for tuning in. One night in Kansas City, after we had played the show,